0: If you have a Bible in front of you or around you, if you'd like to turn to um, Luke chapter 15, um, the tags are in the right place in the large print ones. It's on page uh, 1049 in the Chapel Bibles, if you want to follow. and uh, We know it as the the parable of the the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son, which is a terrible title, because it should be called the parable of the father and his two sons. But um, having said that, we are just going to focus on one son. But there we go. So it's uh, Luke chapter 15, uh, reading from verse 11 to 24. Uh, Jesus continued, uh, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country just pray for a moment before we think about this parable father thank you for your word to us this morning and uh, father once again it's your voice that we want to hear it's your truth that we want to hear so may our hearts and minds be open and attentive to you this morning for jesus sake amen amen okay just uh, three things i want to say this morning thinking about this parable and just uh, three statements And each statement begins the same way. Uh, The Father loves us so much. The Father loves us so much. The Father loves you so much. And three things that this parable tells us about how we can complete that statement. The Father loves you so much, he let you leave. The Father loves you so much, he let you leave. Uh, this, This first couple of verses, this there 's so much contained in these verses. Manuel has two sons. The younger one says to his father, "Father, give me my share of the estates. So we divided his property between them it 's the, What the son asks for in the context and in the culture of the day is the most dishonoring, the most disgraceful thing that he could ever ever have said to his uh, his, his father. You know, we just we don 't fully understand the, uh, you know, the, the context of it and in the culture. But the father doesn't try and persuade him to stay. The father doesn't force him to stay. The father can see what is going to happen once the son leaves. But he lets him go. And not because he doesn't love him, but because he, he does love him. One of the things that you will know about relationships is that you can't, you can't force someone to love you if they don't want to. You can't force someone to stay if they don't want to. And Jesus in the parable talks about a father, he talks about God as a father, which reminds us that we're created for relationship with him. And in a relationship there has to be choice, there has to be free will, otherwise it's no relationship at all. It's the story that we read in at the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, the story of, of Adam and Eve. It's the same thing that Adam and Eve are created for this beautiful relationship with God, the picture that's painted In Genesis chapter 2 and 3 is of of God creating us to live uh, in a perfect world that he's created for us. To live in perfect relationship. We read of Adam and Eve uh, walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day. They have this unfettered, perfect relationship with God. But it's a relationship. They're not created as robots. They don't have to love God. That's why there's this tree Uh, In the story, this tree in the Garden of Eden. And uh, Adam and Eve, they're, they're at total liberty to do whatever they want, to live in whatever way they wish. And God just says, just don't eat the fruit from this particular tree. It's the one prohibition, the one thing that they're not supposed to do. And the reason that the tree is there is to indicate to us that we're created for relationship and there's a choice. Every time Adam and Eve walk past this tree... They kind of have a decision to make and the decision that they have to make is, um, will we continue in this relationship of love with the God who created us? And will we express our love for him by choosing not to eat from the tree? That's, that's why the tree is, is there, so that they're not robots, they're in relationship. And when the day comes that they decide actually, actually we're, we're, we're going to eat, we're going to eat this fruit, we're going we're gonna to go for it, we're going to see what happens, we, we want to be independent of our God. We, don't, we want to try things our own way. Uh, we, we want to leave. We want to leave. God lets them. God allows them. He doesn't stop them. He says, you know, don't eat from this tree. But when the day comes that they choose to do it, he doesn't get in their way. He allows them to exercise this wonderful gift of free will that he's given to them. He, he lets... He lets them leave, and sadly, when they left, they took the rest of us with them. We all left in that one moment. Uh, sometimes people look at the way the world is and they draw the conclusion uh, well there can't be a God of love. There can't be a God of love because of the way the world is. Well, actually it's it's the complete reverse. The world is the way that it is. Because God loved us so much, He didn't force us to stay. He said, if you want to go, you can go, but there'll be all sorts of consequences of your leaving. And that's why we live in the world that we do, with all its pain and mess and suffering, is because God loved us so much, He let us leave. It's because He loves us and allows us to exercise our free will that we live in the world that we do. So that's the first statement. God loves you so much, He let you leave. Second statement: God loves you so much that He waits. The wonderful thing in this um, in this parable is that the father doesn't forget about the younger son. He doesn't kind of wipe his hands of him and uh, and go back to the farm and think, well, that's you know, that's it. We read verse twenty. While he was still, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. While he was still a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. One of the reasons that the father runs to his son is because he wants to get there first. Because the son has so disgraced and dishonoured not just his father but the whole community that if the community get there first they may well kill him. Because what the younger son has done is so dishonouring and so disgraceful that it may be that the mob get there first and kill him. And so one of the reasons that the father runs is because he wants to get there first and protect the son and bring him home so that he doesn't end up being killed by the mob. And all the time the younger son has been away wasting his father's inheritance, the father has been waiting, longing. For the day when he might see him in the, in the distance. Again, Peter, uh, the, the Apostle Peter gives us insight into this. Because again, we, sometimes we think, well, if God loves us, why doesn't he do something about the mess that the world is in? Why doesn't he just step in now and do something about it? Well, the Apostle Peter says this. He says, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, the promise that one day he will redeem and restore everything. The Lord, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, everyone to come home. And uh, Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, he says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance the father in the story he waits he waits he waits he waits and all the time he's waiting he's longing for the son to come home God waits for us and he never ever gives up I was thinking about Bob who used to live next door who learned about uh, the Lord Jesus when he was a child he went to a Christian school he learned about God he learned about the love of God and he left school at 14 and never gave God another thought for the next 60 odd years of his life And then in his late 70s, God started to remind him of things that he'd learnt in childhood. And uh, some of you will know, you know, Bob started to worship here at the chapel. We baptised him at the age of 80. Because one Sunday morning I was preaching from the book of of Acts. There's a bit where Peter says, you know, if you believe you should be baptised. And Bob came up to me at the end of the service. He said, oh, I should be baptised, shouldn't I? And I said, "Well, yeah, if you if you believe in the Lord Jesus, yes." So we um, we managed to baptise him without breaking him because he was quite fragile <laughs> by the age of <laughs> by the age of eighty. But and I was thinking about another guy in in um uh, in in when I was in in Ardingly, he was diagnosed with cancer in his in his early sixties. Never given God a thought in his life. He he wasn't religious, and suddenly he was given this terminal diagnosis, given weeks to live. And and I went to visit him, and uh, uh, and we started a conversation, and. Uh, and he came to faith in Christ before he died, literally six weeks after I first met him. Because his heavenly father was waiting for him. His heavenly father never never gave up. He was waiting, waiting, waiting. And this guy came to faith and died in peace. Lived his whole life, 60 odd years, never given God a thought. But God was waiting and welcomed him home. I was... Um, uh, I was talking to Olivia yesterday, um, Tony Whitlock, um, some of you know, passed away a couple of weeks ago. Tony, 87 years old, and, and all his life, never really given God a thought. He was quite quite content with his life. In this life, never really gave any indication that he needed God or wanted to go. But um, uh, Olivia was sharing with me yesterday, and you know that um, uh, uh, Olivia, had, when she prays, often the Lord just gives her insight, gives her a vision. And um, she was sharing last week, after Kim had died, that she'd had this beautiful picture of uh, of Kim running into the arms of Jesus with this big, beaming smile on her face uh, as she was going home. And uh, Olivia was praying about um, Tony the other day. And she I'm sure she won't mind me. Do you mind me sharing this? Yeah, <laughs> no, <no, it's> fine. <laughs> this, uh, she just had this vision of... Of Tony sat with Jesus deep in conversation. And and in the conversation, Jesus was talking to Tony Mm -hmm. about all the reasons that he found it difficult to believe in him. I just thought, wow, what what an amazing picture that Jesus was deep in conversation with Tony, basically saying, why do you find it so hard to believe in me? Now, in this life, sometimes we never know We never know whether someone has responded to the Lord Jesus. And actually, we can never, ever make a judgment on that because sometimes, even in the moment of someone's death, they make a response. So we may never know, but ultimately, only the Lord knows. So I'm encouraged by that vision. Many of us have been praying for Tony for many, many years. Val has been praying for Tony for over 20 years. But I'm encouraged by that vision to believe that In the last moments of his life, Tony did go home. And um, maybe we'll have the privilege of seeing him one day. If he is, it will be because he made a response to Jesus. But the point is, the Father loves us so much, he waits. And as long as we have breath in our body, he will wait. And if he sees even the, the inkling of our turning towards him, he'll set off running down the road to welcome us. That's how much he loves us. So the father loves us so much, he lets us leave. The father loves us so much, he waits. And the father loves us so much that he welcomes us home and throws the biggest celebration and the biggest party. Uh, The son comes home and he's prepared this little speech about, well, I can't be a son, but maybe I can be a servant. And before he's even got the words out of his mouth, the father has said, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals On his feet. He's being welcomed back home. The ring is a sign of it's a sign of royal welcome. It's a sign of being reestablished in his identity. The sandals are an indication that he's being welcomed back into the family, because the servants don't wear the servants go barefoot. So it's a sign of no, you're not a servant, uh, you're a son. The robe, the best robe, it's the robe of righteousness, it's the robe of forgiveness, it's the robe of God's welcome. That's how the father welcomes his son. And that's how God welcomes us home. God is not begrudging. He's not stingy with his love. He's like, you've come home. I thought you were were dead and now you're alive again. The two previous parables that Jesus has told about the sheep and the coin. uh, verse, um, Verse seven, Jesus says this. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. God throws a party when we come home. Rejoice um, verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels, over one sinner who repents. One of the lovely things about knowing, knowing God as our Father is once we've understood His identity, then we understand our identity. Uh, you know, it seems we, we live in a culture of identity crisis. No one knows who they are anymore. Everyone is trying to work out, well, well who, who am I? What am I? We, we live in a kind of culture of chaos. But when we understand the identity of God as a father who loves us, well, then we discover our identity as people who are deeply precious to him and deeply loved by him and that's what gives us our security that's what gives us our identity to know that god is waiting to throw a party you know if you if you don't know how much god loves you this morning if you don't know him as your heavenly father god is he's waiting in heaven with a whole bunch of angels and they've literally got party poppers and they've got their fingers on the string and they're like You know, the string is taut and they're just waiting for you to turn and start coming home. And as soon as you turn and think, yeah, I want to come home. They're like, yes, boom. Party poppers are going off. The jelly and the ice cream is coming out. It's all prepared. That's how precious you are. That's how precious you are. That's how much... He loves you that's what he's waiting to do the father loves you so much he let you leave when adam and eve left they took us all with them we left and he loved us enough to let us leave because he didn't want us didn't want to force us to stay in a place we didn't want to be but he loves you so much he's waited and he'll wait as long as you have breath in your body for you to come home with his little party popper It's probably quite a big party bobber, but he's waiting and he loves you so much that he'll celebrate and throw the biggest party when you come home. And that's really what today is all about. We may have had wonderful fathers. We may have had rubbish fathers. We may not have known our fathers at all. But God, he's the one. He's the one.